In this edition of Alta's podcast, I'm speaking to two members of the Alta team who were very involved in exposing certain irregularities. Brendan Slade is the legal project manager. He was involved with laying charges in matters such as those against National Lotteries Commission officials. And as you know, they are currently being dragged to court one by one. Rudy Heineke is a very well-known name at Alta. He's a portfolio manager and the person who investigated the Gupta leaks. And like I said, both Brendan and Rudy came across many instances where regulatory bodies should have intervened, but they were quiet or absent. Guys, welcome and thank you very much for speaking to me. Good morning, Ilse, and thank you for the opportunity. Good morning. Thank you. Okay, a question for everybody who doesn't quite understand what regulatory bodies we have in South Africa. What is a regulatory body? Can we first start there? And what is their function in society and also from our side in good governance within a country? And can you give us a few examples? And just for the listeners' benefit, just tell us um, your name when you start speaking. Thank you, Ilza. Uh, Brendan speaking here. I will take this question. First of all, it's important to realize that across the board in South Africa, there are various different industries, different labor industries, different industries of expertise. Just to give an example, the industry of the legal profession, there's the industry of the medical profession. So where there is a particular profession, there is obviously a body that regulates the conduct of that particular profession. So regulatory bodies came into existence through their own internal legislation. They are established in terms of the law, but they are not necessarily tied to government. So they, they, they can be privately funded. They can be an NPO as we, as we have seen some, some of these regulators operate, but their function is to do exactly what the name implies is to regulate the particular industry. So the medical industry, for example, will comprise of of surgeons, general practitioners and the likes. And these professionals in their capacity as professionals all belong to a professional body, which is in this case the regulator. So their conduct while they are performing their functions or, or their profession, whether it's in the public sphere or within the private sphere, they need to adhere to a certain set of rules and a certain code which that particular regulator has established. So it is then the role or the function of the regulator to make sure that its members adhere to that code and rules and that they do not put that particular profession into disrepute. If there is an instance of conduct which is not in line with the code of conduct or the rules applicable, it's then the job of the regulator to take action against that certain member for the misconduct so committed. Rudy, I don't know if you would like to add anything to that. Yes, thank you, Brennan. Um, I think the other thing that's very important uh, for us to, 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 to tell the listeners is that it is not only, you know, this regulatory body taking action against its uh, members, but they should also, um, you know, when uh, during their investigations find any criminal actions, they should report that to the uh, law enforcement agencies and uh, work together and give their assistance to the law enforcement agencies to investigate these uh, criminal actions. 
And I think that is uh, not always uh, the case. The regulatory bodies, you know, they look at the conduct of the member, then they uh, conduct a disciplinary hearing. And, you know, these findings made uh, with regards to the specific member, but we never know about that as the public and it is never reported to the law enforcement agencies. And there we need a shift, a change. These actions and these results should be more public and should, uh, you know, land on the table of the uh, law enforcement agencies. May I cite an example? I know that Auta laid some charges against people from the auditing profession. Uh, two names springs to mind. One is James Aguma. He was a CFO at the SABC. And we also laid charges against Anush Singh. But it took a very, very long time for Saika to even act upon these. I don't even know if the James Aguma matter has been heard. Why is that? Yeah, Ilza, that's uh, quite an issue. We have also seen now with the report of the State Capture Commission, where Chief Justice Ozondo uh, recommended that there should be action taken against some of these professionals like Yaki Quinana and like Daniel Mancha, for example. And then these regulatory bodies are quick to act. But when the public or, or civil society organizations knock on the door of the regulators and say, listen, we have got a complaint here. You must please investigate it. It is a matter uh, that is not always you know, receiving the attention that it should. You were talking about James Aguma. I really do not know what happened with James Aguma's matter. You know, after two, three years, we stopped to follow up because of just no communications from that side. Anosh Singh, I think, was one of the examples where they did act, but one must remember that that was because of the Parliamentary Oversight Committee on Public Enterprises that uh, put pressure on SICA to act on that, and not only Alta. But we laid charges, or complaints rather, uh, at SICA against Yaki Quinana way back in 2018 already, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, nothing happened, but when the judge said in his report on state capture, that Saika must take action now, all of a sudden, you know, that they are knocking on the doors of Alta and say, listen, please help us. Uh, we know that you laid your complaints uh, way back and uh, can you assist us now? So the question is, uh, you know, quite simple. Why wait for a commission of inquiry or a court or, you know, the law enforcement agencies or somebody with you know, that stance in, in, in society to tell a regulatory body to take action. Why don't they take action when the complaints come from the ordinary man in the street? So what I'm also hearing is why do regulating bodies need regulators of their activities? Why do they need somebody to tell them one of your members have been heavily implicated in wrongdoing? And for instance, Saika South African Institute for Chartered Accountants should actually be the watchdog protecting the public against auditors who are not honest. So what is the difference, for instance, between a regulatory body and something like the NPA? Do they have the same powers? Can they criminally go after somebody or can they just get rid of him and kick him out of their society or their circles? Thank you, Ilza. Brendan here. I will take this question. Uh, first of all, we just need to di differentiate between the different types of sanctions that such a person can be found guilty of. On the one hand, the NPA can prosecute a professional for his conduct. Let's, let's use the example of fraud. 
But on the other hand, that act of fraud is in the same breath an unethical form of behavior in terms of the regulator's code of conduct or the applicable rules. So what we've seen happening is that from civil society's perspective, we get really frustrated if the names of certain individuals, for example, in, in the Zondo Commission report, is publicized. And we witness that the regulatory bodies do not act. So it's as if there's a stance taken that any action will only be followed if a complaint is made by the public, which is a co complete misconstruction of what the regulatory bodies ought to be. Because as a watchdog, it should use its own initiative to take action against its own members and not only act once a certain complaint is received by the public. So unfortunately, this is a very political minefield that we are currently in, specifically with the, with the Zondo Commission report. But from our perspective, nothing should preclude regulatory bodies to take action. It's absolutely no excuse to, to make public statements that they can only act and investigate once a complaint is received by a member of the public. So that is not true. That's what you're saying. They can actually act on something if they think that somebody is not honoring the rules of their profession. Yes, certainly, Ilza. Just, just to give a bit of a crude example, if a regulatory body witnesses the commission of an act of fraud and, and catches the person red-handed, there should be nothing precluding them from launching an investigation. They should not wait until somebody brings a complaint for them. If the facts speak true and if the allegations made amounts to prima facie evidence that misconduct has been committed, there should be no reason to stand back and wait to do anything. You know, with regulatory bodies doing their own investigations, their own disciplinary hearings, etc., the problem is that it is not very transparent. That number one. And number two is that the public, who they should protect with these uh, investigations and disciplinary hearings, they do not know that their lawyer or their auditor or their uh, or an engineer or a builder that they use uh, have been sanctioned by this regulatory body uh, because it is not published uh, widely. You know, all these bodies, they do have their own, you know, publications, but the uh, public does not read that because they don't subscribe to it. And that is one issue, I think, you know, that people who are found wanting by these bodies, the results of the uh, actions and the disciplinary hearings and whatever they they do should be published widely. What you are saying, Rudy, is that if there are blacklists and blacklisted individuals, we are not aware of them because there isn't a sort of a database where we can go and check to see is our auditor um, actually complying with his own professional rules or our builder? My mm -hmm. follow-up question from that is, do you get a sense that these regulatory bodies are protecting their members instead of protecting the public? I, I, I do think so, uh, just because of the fact that, you know, the public is not informed about this. You must go and search for, you know, a specific name and, and see this person, uh, he or she, what happened with their disciplinary hearing? Were they ever on a disciplinary hearing? I discovered the other day in a investigation that we did that a specific auditor was fined 10 million rand and was disbarred for 10 years to conduct any financial 
advice uh, services. And that was only published in that specific regulatory body's newsletter and their own publication. And nobody knows about this guy. You know, not he cannot perform any financial services anymore. Yet he is. We don't know, but if he is, uh, you know, his clients, how do they know? Because he's not going to, you know, invite them in at the door and say, listen, just before we, we start this conversation, I just want to uh, tell you guys that I've been disbarred for 10 years. Sure. Obviously, he's not going to do mm-hmm. that. And that is and that is one of the huge and the big problems that we are sitting with is that this information is not, uh, you know, publicly available. Brendan, can you tell us a bit more about the regulatory bodies, the different ones, and how they're financed? And also share your views, whether they are really looking out for the public or for their own. Thank you, Ilza. I'm going to tie in with what Rudy just said. Um, but first off, we just need to look at, at the courts. And as with the courts of the country, there is an assumption that the courts are independent. With regulators, that assumption should also be be taken as the default stance. But they are obviously contributing factors that speak to the credibility of the of of the regulators. When they do not take action, that affects their credibility. Uh, the other issue is that there's a fine line between the interests of the regulators and the job they actually need, or, or rather, the function they need to perform, because the majority of their revenue is deprived from membership fees, which which is paid on an annual basis. And it's usually the members of these particular regulators that commit acts that are unethical, not in line with the applicable rules. So then there's an equilibrium decision. They need to act now against a member that in the same breath contributes to their revenue. But because of the assumption of regulators being independent, the notion of revenue before holding members to account should not even be an argument in the first place. Just to go back to to a few of the regulators we have dealt with prior, the South African Institution of Chartered Accountants, we've dealt with the Legal Practice Council, the LPC, which is the old Law Society of South Africa, which is now the regulatory body over both attorneys and advocates. We've also engaged with URBA, which is the independent regulatory body for auditors. There's also the Institute of Directors, which is an NPO. And then the Companies and Intellectual Properties Commission, that is also to to some extent a regulator of companies and intellectual properties. When you register a company, it is through that regulator, that statutory entity, which you can start doing doing business after. And just to go back to the issue of revenue and resources of, of the regulators, Certainly, if you now go a bit deeper to determine what is the extent of membership fees collected every year, I am very sure it will pop up with some substantial amounts. And because these amounts are substantial, I mean, these regulatory bodies, even if they do not have the capacity to conduct investigations, they would certainly have the funds in the form of the membership fees to appoint appropriate consultants or investigators to conduct these investigations on their behalf. From time to time, we have seen that the regulators complain about lack of capacity, lack of funding, 
And I do think that the way forward is engagement and cooperation with civil society and the public at large to eradicate any form of capacity constraints and the correct utilization of membership fees. Is there a point where a regulatory body should stand back and let the law run its course? Or can they carry on their own investigations while somebody is also being investigated by law enforcement authorities or possibly even already standing in the dock? Thank you, Ilza. I will take that question. Um, It also comes down to the particular act, which on the one side is a criminal act. On the other side, it's also an act that is an unethical form of behavior in terms of the applicable rules or the code of conduct. So we are accustomed to hear statements from various institutions, not necessarily from regulators in this regard, that they cannot act because a certain investigation is pending by either the South African Police Service or other law enforcement agencies. This is a complete misconception because nothing precludes a regulator from conducting an investigation in terms of the infringement or the non-compliance of their code or rules with the investigation pending by the SAPS. So what I am getting to is these investigations conducted by the police and investigations conducted by the regulators can run concurrently. There's no need for a police investigation to be concluded before the regulators can proceed with their own investigations. However, there still needs to be a form of cooperation between law enforcement agencies and regulators. But at the end of the day, these investigations can run parallel and they would reasonably not compromise the legitimacy of either of them. Ilza, and if I may interject here as well, I think the question, why are we having this discussion? And it is basically, you know, in layman's terms, because we want to remove the bad apples from society. And that is the core of this discussion. Why do we concentrate on regulatory bodies? It is quite simple, because if you are found wanting as a professional, you should not be able or you should not be allowed to carry on with your everyday dealings, with your everyday business, because if it is a form of corruption, and most probably is, you should be taken out of society and you should be disallowed to carry on with your conduct or or with your work. The other thing is that one cannot, and, and I think we have spoken about this many times before, we cannot think that the NPA will prosecute each and everyone in this country who has been found wanting. It's just impossible. And we know the capacity constraints that we were talking about before. Uh, We know that there's now more money import into the uh, prosecuting authority, into the uh, law enforcement agencies, et cetera, et cetera. But still, you know, if you look at the crime stats that were released, it is uh, quite impossible to get everywhere. And that is why, you know, it is so important for these bodies to come to the party and to do their part in combating corruption in this country. And not only corruption, but also bad and insufficient service delivery. The other thing that I just want to quickly touch on is that we are talking here predominantly about the people in private sector. What about the public sector? What, who are regulating them? And I think, you know, there we should maybe have another session sometime and getting some experts to talk about the public service commission. What's their role? What are they doing? 
and so forth. And once again, looking at transparency, we don't know. There is 1.5, almost 2 million public servants in this country. We don't know who were fired last month because of uh, uh, illegal or unlawful conduct, because it's, it's not published anywhere. And that specific person will go on and uh, apply for a job in a new sector in a week's time. And, you know, it sounds very harsh, but we need to get these bad apples out of society. We need to get these bad apples out of our public institutions so that we can have good service delivery, that we can have uh, people with integrity, people who uh, know what's the ethic values of the organization and act accordingly. And that is something that we don't have in this country, is that transparency. So on the one hand, like I said, you know, talking about the private sector is one thing, but we equally need to look at the same kind of regulation uh, being applied in the public sector. Listening to you now, I realize nothing stops a corrupt auditor, for instance, from being kicked out from SICA, but applying for a job in a government institution or a SOE. He can apply for another kind of job, not an auditing job per se, but he can make sure that he can help corruption or help hide corruption in his new position. Nobody will know because we don't know that his name has been put on a register. Is there a possibility that ATA can help with uh, such a registered is it something you guys foresee in our future? Well, there's been talks, you know, inside Alta about that. It was, uh, and I think uh, definitely there is uh, there's a need for this. Number one, and number two, it is definitely on the horizon and in the scope of Alta to create something like this. It's not as easy as it sounds, but yes, uh, because you know, from an investigation point of view. A very or a um, experienced investigator will know. Listen, I look at different sources of information, open source information, uh, go to different platforms, and you can get the information on a specific person, and you can build a profile for such a person. But there's no place in South Africa where we bring together all these implicated people on one platform, so that if you want to conduct, for example, a background check on a person before you employ him or before you enter into business with him, it is quite a mission to get you know all the background information. So if we have a platform like this, uh, it will be much easier and one will be able to maybe get to a point where the bad apples are not put back into society and who are not employed and who are not doing business with government anymore. Okay, any closing thoughts? What is your message to the regulatory bodies and what is your message to the public? Thank you, Ulze. In, in closing, I think we need to understand the importance of having a functional and professional public sector. When I had a conversation with Rudy earlier today on this topic, it, it stood out for us that if you speak to students out there who are currently studying towards entering into a profession, uh, one of the big incentives for students is, is obviously to enter into the private sector because the private sector is lucrative. The private sector is, to some extent, better regulated than the public sector. So we really need to see some form of a renaissance of, of the public sector going forward. 
And we do think that the regulators have an absolutely crucial role to play to ensure that people holding public office, which which also hold a, a professional position such as a chartered accountant or attorney, should be held accountable if, if the conduct that they are found guilty of do not talk to a just society. We also need to focus on transparency going forward and consequence management when particular behavior should not be condoned. So whenever there is some form of unethical behavior, we we need to see examples being made of ex-executives of of state-owned entities, and that will instill public confidence, that will talk to the credibility of the institutions, but it will also talk about the credibilities of the regulators. So if we make the sectors watertight, properly regulated, and the sanctions as clear as it can be with actual results coming forward, I think then we will see a prosperous South Africa in the near future. Yeah, Ilza, from my side, I can just say fighting corruption in South Africa is a collective effort. It is not only the uh, job or the function of the South African Police Service, the prosecuting authority, other law enforcement agencies. It is a collective. It is necessary for the public themselves to get involved, to act as whistleblowers where they can, get this or or bring this information to the uh, attention of law enforcement, of civil society organizations, of uh, uh, professional regulatory bodies. And then obviously, these professional bodies, as well as big business, banks, uh, etc., it is a collective effort to root out corruption in this country. As long as we do not get together, civil society, public enterprises, uh, public uh, institutions, private institutions, and uh, the corporate world, and put in a collective effort, it's going to be very, very difficult to root out corruption in South Africa. Very true words and a good call by Rudy Heineke and Brendan Slade. Both are out of project managers deeply involved with rooting out corruption and exposing looting. Rudy and Brendan, thank you for your time. I'm Ilse Saltzfiddle. This was another episode of Outer Insights. If you enjoyed the program, please share it with your friends. And also remember, Outer cannot function without public support. Please support their work and click on their website, www.outer.co.za.